au kon langari tiamafan am on paurusia minuan faiokasi talapati at langtangas talapakania. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and with me across town is William Annis. Hello. All right. And so uh, we've got a good one for you. Uh, the thing I miss about having William on the show regularly is uh, when he comes up with a linguistics topic, uh, we come up with the linguistics topic, and then uh, he immediately populates all the notes and gives me nine <laughs> papers to read. <laughs> so we are uh, we are going to be talking about associated motion, which is not a category that I had heard of before. Um, I think that research on it is kind of new-ish. And it gets called different things in different linguistic descriptive traditions as usual. That that may be that may be what it is. It's sort of uh, a thing that people referred to in a whole lot of different ways, and now it's come down under this one umbrella because people realized, oh, it's kind of all the same thing. But um, yep. before we get to that, let's do our thing at the top. Con Langery is entirely supported by our patrons over at Patreon. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash conlangery to donate. And uh, I have switched to policy now so that uh, now when you pledge, whatever level you pledge at, you're going to pay your pledge immediately and then immediately get access to the things that I give people, which is early episodes. And for one level, you can get early access to my scripts as I'm writing them for shorts. Um, so patreon.com slash conlangery. Uh, any amount you want to give is is great. And now let's get on with the episode. So, William, what is associated motion? <laughs> Here, where do we start? Okay, so associated motion is a fairly common kind of marking that typically goes on verbs, which simply... You know, just like tense encodes when an event takes place and associated motion affixes encode motion on the verb. It's fairly common. It occurs in about one in three languages on the planet. It's especially common in Amazonia and Australia, but it's not at all unusual elsewhere. And it simply means that you smack something onto the verb somewhere, usually. A few, a few languages use things we might call particles that says how the action relates to the deictic center. Some people call it deictic center. Just like we have this is close, that is far, here, there. The simplest and most common associated motion systems um, indicate, basically they add the sense of come and, and go and to your verb. Right. I don't, I've made several languages that have this. I don't know why it's never occurred to me as a topic before. And this is an inflectional category, not a derivational one. 
So it's something that gets marked on the verb somehow that says either you're moving toward the deictic center, which might be you, or it might be the center of action for a story. And languages that have them, most of them tend to use them a lot. Yeah. So basically, it it's, as you said, you're adding sort of a come and and a go and. And that's not the only oh, no. thing that these things encode. Uh, sometimes there can be like uh, uh, going around doing doing things. Um, there are lots of possibilities, yeah, which yeah. I, we, we will enumerate shortly. Yeah. The, uh, one, one thing I will say is you will find that there is a whole lot of variant terminology here in oh, yeah. terms of like what the the go and come affixes are called. I think one that uh, that uh, we may end up using is the um, the cislocative and translocative. Yep. Cislocative is come and then translocative is go. Yep. Uh, I I found it funny that some people use ventive and itive, which. <laughs> I know where that comes from. The it yeah. must be from ire, right? But it just yes. looks like somebody added the itive ending to nothing. Right. <laughs> I assume that's pronounced itive, but I have no idea. And sometimes it also gets called the andative. And sometimes yeah. the ventive gets called venative. So there's many complicated, and as I said, different um, terminological traditions use different terms. Yeah, just keep that in mind while you're reading our sources and looking at literature of this, because uh, you might have to learn multiple synonymous terms in order to understand everything that people write about this. Yeah. So, as I said, it's some sort of marking on the verb it might be a prefix, might be a suffix. Sometimes they will be transparent and, and isolated from everything else. Other times they might glob together with inf other inflectional categories in non-predictable ways, might um, glob together with aspect or tense or person or number. So there's a lot of possibilities. So one of the, the documents I link for our references is supposed to be a handout for a linguistics talk, but it's like 92 pages long. It's huge. That's a ridiculous number of pages for a handout. But it is a survey of all of these different possibilities across a whole bunch of languages. So. You can take a look through that and get all sorts of ideas um, if you're excited about this idea after the episode is over. Um, mm -hmm. And there, as I said, there are a few languages that have associated motion functions, which aren't affixes, though. A bunch of Polynesian languages in particular have things that get called particles, um, and so does Somali, and I think one or two other in, in Africa as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really widespread around the world. I think. Um... Some of the early ideas about this being its own thing that needs to be studied, it came out of Papua New Guinea, but there's Australian languages, there are South American languages, there are Sino-Tibetan languages that have this. Yep. Those are in the, like, Japug and things like that, that marvelous. Yeah, um, wrong. Yeah, yeah, those. And... um Manchu has it apparently. Yes. So we've had we have a broad range of you know geographic spread of this, which is really good because if you go looking around at literature on these with 
different language families in different regions, then you can get a general sense of how it works more broadly. Yeah. And then and then you can, you know, sort of go about building your own system without necessarily copying from one language or one yeah. family or something like that. Exactly. So like it, as George has alluded, it's kind of a terminological mess. Syslocative and translocative are what I typically use in my own languages, just because that's the terminology normally used in North American language description. And that's where I first really encountered the idea in detail. Um, but as we'll discuss in a few moments, when the motion happens in relation to the action can be different. It might come before, it might be at the same time, it might come after. And so some interlinearizations just give up and like do a, a go and come and do coming to going, right? So they just do all caps or, or small caps, you know, go dot and um, for these affixes rather than come up with, especially for something like Arente, which has, I don't know, a good dozen of these things. Um, you might as well say what they mean rather than give a ridiculous, a complicated term. Yeah. So we've so far been talking about associated motion. And it means things like go and sit would be one morphological verb where the go and part would be represented by an associated motion affix. And these go on uh, non-motion verbs. However, it is very common um, for associated motion prefixes to be also used as directional prefixes on verbs of motion. Yeah. So if you have a verb like return, it might take, you know, the syslocative, which means return here, or it might take the translocative and mean return there. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, some language descriptions don't always make a good effort to distinguish those two senses, um, but it's important to recognize that because some languages do not have that sort of polysemy. Yeah. And uh, I believe we have one, one source that is actually talking specifically about that, where the they call it deictic directionals. Yeah. And the, uh, the uh, associated motion affixes are the same. Right. Uh, talking about, um, oh, North Africa is an, another place where this happens. Um, but like, because... There is, there's a few, uh, there's a couple things that I pulled out from reading about that 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 are interesting. Uh, one is that there seems to be a grammaticalization pathway where you start with, I mean, generally associated motion and the directionals both will come from verbs meaning come and go. Yes. Right. Yeah, they often pattern morphologically very similarly. Yeah. And so one thing that that we see here is that there is actually a grammaticalization pathway where these things grammaticalize from the verb as directionals that are attached to motion verbs, and then they will get associated with non-motion verbs with the associated motion meaning and gain that there. And so you would end up going from come and go as verbs to directionals to associated motion affixes. Absolutely. Uh, which is interesting to me. Um, it's also interesting to me 
that the in the at least when the you have the directionals being the associated motion affixes, there's a tendency for a lot of pragmatic nonsense going on. Oh yeah, absolutely. For lack of a better term, uh, I mean, I think there there can be a lot of interesting pragmatic stuff going on, but. One thing that was highlighted specifically with the um, directionals becoming associated motion is like that thing of you talking about the sequence where it can be either motion before the action or after the action or even um, simultaneous with the action. Yeah. That ends up being pragmatic more often than not when you're talking about directionals reused as associated motion. It's like, Whatever the verb, the main verb event is, there might be a default interpretation, but it ends up being very much contextual to what that verb event is, what the context of it is in a story, all that, all this kind of stuff all feeds into how that ends up being interpreted. Right. I have this noted, <coughs> excuse me, noted later. Um, associated motion prefixes don't always come from verbs. Obviously, there is a close family family resemblance between some ways serial verbs are used um, and associated motion, right? This sort of thing with associated motion, with uh, the sort of specification of direction with serial verb constructions is pretty darn common and looks a whole lot like um, associated motion. Right. So these directionals... Obviously, as most of us are familiar with Indo-European languages, and we have lots of these directional affixes on verbs, which, you know, have all sorts of semantic nonsense going on. Um, most Indo-European languages do not have associated motion things, except German has two prefixes used on verbs, hin and her, and used on a few other things that sure smell a whole lot like associated motion. Um, and one or two papers at least make passing mention of them, but they're not used um, systematically the way um, they are used in some languages. It's more idiomatic than something you would always use. So I'm not gonna be talking today about, about like a Hungarian or Indo-European style system where you have literally dozens of kinds of motion and direction prefixes available to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, another place where there's sort of an off mention of a language people might be more familiar with is like there was one talking about associated motion in in Sino-Tibetan and they had like an off mention of Chinese and saying oh that that at the end is like a an associated motion affix it's also directional hmm. but because yeah. it's saying you you go and drink water but they called it marginal. The reason for calling it marginal is because it's a clitic, but I don't know if that's the reasoning I would go with. But anyway. That, that seems like a very bad reason not to call that associated motion. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I think it's more, I, I think it's sort of a restricted thing, whereas like Yaorong has like, it's going on everywhere. So, uh, as I was saying, the most common senses are the simple cis-locative and trans-locative motion towards me or the story motion away from. And plenty of languages only have those. And 
whether it refers to prior or simultaneous motion, or it's sometimes hard to tell, right? That's pragmatically determined. Um, and as I already said, it's very common for those to also indicate direction on motion verbs. Um, once in a while, you'll see a language that lets you smack both on at the same time to have the sense of go away and come back. Mm -hmm. Even more rarely, a language will only have one <laughs> associated motion, um, and whether it's uh, cislocative or translocative is random. Um, or you might have an affix that just means there's motion associated with this event and no particular encoding of direction on that affix that might be indicated some other way or inferred from context. Right. Um, so as I said, um, some languages will distinguish time of motion relative to the event, so prior, concurrent, or after. And once that happens, you can get some pretty hairy systems. You will typically have more kinds of options for concurrent motion um, if you have all of prior, concurrent, and after. Uh, but uh, Arente in Australia is a great one where you have do coming, do coming back, do coming through, uh, do passing. And then you have a prior motion, a subsequent motion, and a subsequent motion, but hurried. <laughs> Yeah. Um, available for both go and go back. So you can get quite complicated systems. Yeah. And um, the, the, so the um, direction toward and away from the deictic center is one dimension. Yep. Another dimension is the prior versus, uh, versus um, subsequent motion versus simultaneous motion. And yep. then you just mentioned there's some, some even further divisions you can get with that. Um, I believe it was in, uh, is it in Galrangic languages that do this or, or what, that sometimes you end up with defining based on upward versus downward motion? Correct. So if you have um, your associated motion affixes or marking also used for direction, the two most common additions to that system are up and down. Yeah. And then after that, um, in and out. So in the Polynesian languages, for example, um, come, go, up and down are the, the are very, very common systems with sometimes um, minor additions. Yeah. So again, you take a look at the handout. It has all sorts of marvelous systems and possibilities. Uh, some of these systems look very tidy and symmetrical, and some are just not at all, right? They're all over the place. Yeah. There are a few associated motion prefixes that are only used to mark purpose, like mm -hmm. go and buy some Doritos. Um, it only indicates that your motion is for the intention of doing something. And in a few systems like Iraq and Kalkatungu, um, associated motion is only used on imperatives. Okay. Like go and sit down. And then there, there are a few languages where they're most common in imperatives, but um, occasionally used elsewhere. And that can, it can make sense for it to be sort of um, restricted in that way. Yeah. Um, let's see, I sort of mentioned in passing that sometimes you have, uh, uh, or I think George mentioned, like sometimes you have an associated motion 
ethics that just means like that you're doing it wandering about kind of aimlessly. Um, yeah. Some uh, languages. Some, Go ahead. I think that's called sometimes like circumlocative or ambulatory. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I might find a, new, a different way to an, uh, interlinearize that, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you can have do and leave, uh, do returning. Arente, as I've mentioned, and also Shoshone have um, a separate series for uh, do while moving quickly. Mm -hmm. And then for even more marvelous systems for direction, uh, particular, but also associated motion, you might encode the motion along rivers or into and out of forests. So your uh, geography might get involved. And one language, Puluat, um, it can encode cardinal directions. Although those, those are polysemous for with also things like going in and going out. So there's uh, some complications there. Yes. Uh, some languages distinguish whether you're going or coming permanently or temporarily. That's an interesting one. So go, yes, go and sit for a while or go and sit and stay put. Haida encodes manner. So go walking, go flying, going on a vehicle. That's an interesting one because yep. some people try to are trying to bring up verb frame versus satellite framed in the context of these, but that kind of makes it like mm, maybe the associated motion doesn't quite fit into that framework. <laughs> well, certainly Haida's doesn't. Yeah. Matzes has an interrupted motion series, which basically means go, stop, do, and then continue going. Mm -hmm. Along with the more familiar uh, concurrent motion series. And much, much less often, you can have associated motion affixes that do not encode the motion of the subject of the verb, but the direct object. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, uh, so the, I think um, one, one of the things was like, they, they always allow you to have the subject, but some languages in addition can have the object be the what they're calling the figure in some of these is right. the, the thing that's undergoing motion. Right. And there's also sometimes there's a semantic uh, involvement in that where um, if it's specifically like something you pick up and move with you, then it's in then it's likely to be that kind of object that will be like subsumed with the subject as the right motion right. thing but it 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 sort of that's that's like there's a million fragments of variation on that too yeah exactly so in a language with associated motion you might not need a separate verb for bring at all same as in um serial verb construction languages. You just have something that needs carry, and then you smack on the appropriate motion verb uh, prefix. Although that 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 brings up the, there's another point uh, that comes up here is that so, sometimes, or I guess often, these languages have the associated motion, but they can also express the same thing with a verb construction that is literally the verb 
to go or to come and absolutely the absolutely it's really important that associated motion always almost always exists with just i think always exists with normal verbs of motion what associated motion means is that the verbal action matters more than the motion that the motion is marked and they care about it but it's not uh yeah it's, it's background information yeah and the there's an interesting facet to that too in that um in one or two of these papers they, they point out that very often in languages that have associative uh associated motion the what they call the motion verb construction where you have the the actual separate verbs verb come or go from the the uh main action has a bit of a different interpretation in that when they have the motion verb construction where you instead of the instead of the associated motion then the two events are treated separately and can be negated separately or canceled separately exactly whereas exactly. yeah where, whereas when you use the associated motion affix very often that is treated as a single event and cannot be cannot be actually uh negated separately or canceled separately so um that that is an interesting thing um it's kind of what you might expect if you were thinking about this is that okay when i'm actually actually adding an affix to the verb yeah. then this all becomes one action that all sticks together and if this is not the case with all languages or in all situations even but it is sort of a pattern that that comes up and a similar practice is if you have a causative mm -hmm. uh, is the causer or the causee the one undergoing the motion um in you mentioned the the gyalrong languages japug it could be either the um causer or the causee sort of has to be determined but in other languages it's you know it's more often um, fixed one or the other so yeah there could be interesting uh meaning blends going on there even though this is primarily a inflectional category um it can uh, dance with uh, derivation in fun ways yeah Okay, I said that some of these systems look really nice and tidy and symmetrical. Some are not. Um, in general, when you have these, they will be marked in the same way. They'll be all prefixes or all suffixes. But, of course, there are a few languages where your cislocative is a prefix and your translocative is a suffix. Or you might have some directionals go in one place and other directionals go in another place. And this is obviously more familiar to language with, with template verb systems, but not just there by any means. Yeah. And I would, I would, de would definitely recommend, um, in, in one of our papers, they actually have a chart, uh, that includes the etymological source of these markers that yeah. that would be a great thing to be looking at if you're looking in terms of grammaticalization. Because we said we said earlier that it's mostly come and go that gets grammaticalized, but obviously come and go by themselves don't necessarily lend to all the meanings that we've described here. So right, uh, yeah, you know, return, 
buttons and various things going up or down. Yeah. Okay. So here's one thing that I uh, found interesting is uh, Karaja, which is an Amazonian language, I'm pretty sure. All verbs must take associated marking. Now, since lots of verbs don't particularly make sense with this, um, they take on additional nuance. Um, with, for example, the cis-locative on the verb indicating emotional relevance for the speaker. Um, imperatives with a cis-locative sound more friendly. Um, and apparently a progressive with a cis-locative might indicate direct evidentiality. And that makes sense. Um, if the motion toward the speaker or the location near the speaker might uh, suggest uh, a direct evidence. Yeah. That gives ideas for like what could associated motion become later. Exactly. Because I think uh, we've sort of mentioned that some some of them have become aspect markers as as time went on and you have um, families where you have them in various different stages, but you could, with that one, sounds like it could be like an effect could become like an effective thing. Exactly. A lot of different things. Um, aspectual senses are pretty common with the cislocative having either an inceptive or change of state sense and translocative indicating the end point of activity. So um, I think especially in some of the North African languages, um, you can get really interesting um, <laughs> nuance. George, are you okay? I'm fine. Okay. Um, especially in some of those, you can get really interesting um, aspectual nuance as well. And as we know from speaking into European languages, you know, words like up or down or over and under, we can take on all sorts of interesting senses uh, yes. when combined with verbs. Just as in things like tense and aspect might have distinctions neutralized in different kinds of clauses, um, associated motion, prefix, affixes, whatever, uh, might be or forbidden in subordinate clauses or in nominalized clauses. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thing to think about as well. Um, they can also, uh, you, you might expect that uh, if they're in a motion verb construction, you might also have an associated motion that echoes the verb that's already explicit, already independent. So, uh, like, you can have go and, uh, like, go and eat marked with the um, uh, translocative right. as well. Yeah, and that, and that's often used in discourse linking, where, where you have languages that these are used freely. You'll have things like, he came and he argued cislocative with me, right? So um, yeah. it's, a, it's a way of joining clauses together, uh, sort of linking action and, and location. And then one thing I wanted to just mention for in terms of historical derivation, uh, historically, the forms of the associated motion affixes are very unstable. And otherwise, very closely related languages may have pretty substantial variation in what their associated motion prefix forms are. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting um, sort of spin on this. It'd be an interesting way to produce dialects for your conlegs, for example, is to have different pathways leading to different kinds of associated motion affixes. Yeah, you can also have families at different, with languages at different stops along a gram grammaticalization path. 
Um, yep. And you can also have some of them might have no associated motion. Some of them might have uh, have more. Uh, I think uh, um, I keep coming back to like the Synod of Tibetan and like there was one family that had between zero and seven uh, <laughs> associated motion affixes. In just one branch or across the different variants of the language? Yeah, so uh, let me see if I can find that. I don't remember if it was um, Gyalrangic or Kirbati or what or whatever Kirbati, it was yeah. called. Or, yeah. But uh, let me see. Let me see. I think it was in one of the Sino-Tibetan groups. So I was just scrolling through that handout, and I just noticed another thing. Just like we talked about in the demonstratives episode long ago whenever we did that, that sometimes you have demonstratives that distinguish um, above your eye level and below your eye level. Um, here's alarm block, which has a associated motion sloping upward and a sloping downward um, affix uh, if we're directional. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, by the way, it's the it's the Kiranti family. It's a subfamily of Sino-Tibetan. And yeah, so... Yeah. Um, uh, even with cognate morphemes, the languages range from zero to seven AM markers. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, you can have lots of different, uh, lots of variation here in terms of dialects or language families, and in, in how many AM markers, what the AM markers are, what's encoded, how far along in grammaticalization they are. So, yep. So. That's the main thing I had to say. My my main language these days, Kielta has these, which is why it just occurred to me one day, oh, we've never talked about this Hong Kong language. Um, and I use them a lot. Uh, for example, I always use, almost always use the syslocative to describe local weather phenomena. Mm -hmm. right. Sounds good. I, I don't just say it's raining. I say it's it's, it's come and raining. Right, it's here. Uh, it it is definitely a really interesting uh, uh, thing to to go over with because as we've gone over, there is a lot of there's a lot of different sort of variations you can have. Um, to me, we've kind of like jumbled it uh, a lot. To me, I kind of like the I, I almost like the the um, directionals being the same as the associated motion markers, because I think that's an interesting, like you're, you're possibly at one stage in grammaticalizing these. And also the pragmatic interplay that happens is really interesting at the same time. Uh, like the ones with dedicated associated motion markers tend to have more categories in like a more uh, robust sy system, I think. Yep. It's it's interesting. You, we got into one topic and we get a whole lot of different options in terms of what you can, you can do with it. Um, I think I have not used this before. But I think now, um, at some point, whenever I d 
do the next full language I do, I may try to incorporate it. Yeah, as at, I mean, as I said at the start, it appears to occur in about one third of all languages. Um, Daniel Ross, who's responsible for the the handout that we'll have included in the the links, um, sort of gives an understatement when he says that the subject is understudied. <laughs> right? It might be slightly more common than we think. Uh, sort of apropos of nothing, there's a couple of extra not things to to say in that. Uh, there's lots of examples available, although some of the glosses are kind of hard to read because these languages already have a lot of other inflection. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, sort of a side thing that came up when um, when I, I was reading about this is like, I really would like to sometime in the future feature a Galrangic language or talk about the Galrangic languages. Well, you're uh, lucky because the expert on these, Guillaume Jacques, has published a grammar of Japan at yes. Langsai Press at like, it comes in at like a thousand something pages. It's enormous. Um, so yes. we would not be able to talk about all of it, but it's free, of course, because it's from Langsai Press. Um, I included that in the links. So that's, yeah, that's a marvelous thing we should discuss sometime. Yeah, uh, I did not get to that one. Um, <laughs> well, it's merely got 1,500 pages, so you'll have time to. Yeah, but um, the, I mean, uh, uh, Yapug, is it called? Japug. Japug. George from the future chiming in here. I've had a chance to start reading that grammar, and as far as I can tell, the pronunciation of the name of this language is Jipi. I do not know where the G comes from in the spelling, but that's what it is. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I probably will be reading that. Uh, Language Science Press is great to go look at because it's an open access, not a journal, but academic publisher. So it's full books and there, there's a lot of stuff in there. So that that's that's great. And um yeah, I've seen the that grammar mentioned elsewhere, and uh, I may go read that. It's just uh, it it caught my eye. I first encountered those when I was looking for a way to do direct inverse marking that wasn't just a copy of right um, of uh, Algonquian. Yes, and then I saw a paper that was comparing Algonquian to to uh, Galrangic languages, specifically Zbu. And I'm like, wait, there's a branch of Sino-Tibetan languages where you have direct inverse marking on verbs. And like, almost anything else you would like to find in a language. They're pretty complicated languages they're, with, they're, yeah. with, with phonologies that start to make like those old Chinese reconstructions look reasonable. <laughs> yeah, and but I mean, it's it's sort of interesting because everybody's yeah let's well I'll not go too far longer on this but like it's interesting because like my entry and I think most people's entry to Sino Tibetan is Chinese which yep. is like the polar opposite of this no almost <laughs> no inflection I think that Tibetan has a bit more and and Burmese has more but like you look at the Galrangic languages and 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 you see oh okay this language family, if you're going back far enough, went in two totally different directions. Completely different <laughs> directions. Yep. Yeah. 
But I mean, uh, William, you have any other thoughts about associated motion that uh, you want to talk about, or I think no, just when you when when you start um, a conlang with them, be sure to think carefully about the distinguish the, the, the distinction between associated motion and direction. Um, if yes. you look at this handout, um, it gives. Uh, vent and itive, ventative and itive in uppercase to indicate associated motion. Um, but then it also has um, dir to indicate that they can also indicate direction. And very often they can do both, but not always. Right. And it's just worth keeping that in mind. Um, and it will simplify your thinking because it's certainly, I know I confused myself for a while thinking about these um, when direction versus actual associated motion get involved. Yeah. And I, this is one where I really would recommend before you start implementing this in a language to look through our sources um, on this episode and go read stuff for yourself, because it is a very complex topic. And we, even if we went on for, like Ever. five hours, we would not be able to adequately cover all the like possibilities and, and tricks you need to look into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, if you're going to include them in your language, make sure you're thinking about them. If you speak a language, if you don't speak a language that uses them, it's easy to forget about them. Uh, so when you're coming up with your examples and stuff, you know, think about if, if it might make more sense, both in example sentences and definitely in stories, you want to think about associated motion and just make sure that you don't create this feature and then fail to use it, which is easy to do if you don't, if you haven't assimilated the feature completely. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of things to think about um, how it interacts pragmatically, how the associated motion constructions are related to motion verb constructions. Yep with the separate verbs can there be echoes all all these there's there's a whole ton of different decisions to make and some of them are not super obvious but they are it is a really interesting thing and william you said like a third of languages have this i think it's something that conlangers should probably be paying attention to absolutely yeah okay uh, so I guess that's it for our episode. Um, so uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have some, I, I hope that a thousand different associated motion systems for conlangs <laughs> come out of this. <laughs> Let a thousand flowers blossom. <laughs> yes. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, go to the show notes for, for sources to read more about this. And I'm going to say happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Support Conlangery on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. You can get access to early episodes as well as scripts for my shorts as I write them. Thank you to Ezekiel Fordsmender, Margaret Ransdell Green, and all of our other patrons for your continued support. 
Con Langery is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 license. Our website was designed by Bianca Richards, transcription help from Sarah Doparella, and our theme music is by Null Device. Thank you. Casada. <laughs>